Hey, this is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast. Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Trevor Magnotti and this is the Thick Jacked Frames podcast, Fear the Swords new NBA Draft podcast. The 2019 NBA Draft is 19 weeks away now and with the trade deadline coming gone, attention for the Cap Cleveland Cavaliers can fully turn to what the team is going to do in June. You probably heard me and Chris Manning break down draft prospects on Locked On Cavaliers in the past few weeks, or have been following my draft watch guides throughout the season for who to key in on each week in college basketball. Thick Jack Frames is here to combine those two ideas. Each week, we, we will be breaking down draft news, then giving one draft prospect their spotlight, talking about strengths, weaknesses, and potential fit on the Cavs. Finally, we're going to give you a quick primer on the three most important games to watch in the week, coming weeks, college basketball slate. The ultimate goal, educating ourselves on the ins and outs of the draft and focusing on something that isn't dang Adele starting games for our favorite team. Remember, that's a thing that's happening right now, and it should be a signal to all of us that we have better things to focus on. Wives, girlfriends, children, and most importantly, arguments over which 18 to 20 year old college kids give the Cavs the best shot at having their first passable team without LeBron on it since Terrell Brandon was our starting point guard. An obvious starting point is probably to explain the name here because you may not be familiar with the term thick jack frame. If you aren't familiar with draft scouting, there are certain terms that we use to describe draft prospects with ideal traits. Some of these can get pretty technical. For instance, you'll probably hear me refer to a player at some point like Darius Garland of Vanderbilt as having a one-motion jumper, or Matisse Thibel of Washington being a habit-causing 1-4 switch defender. These things probably have no meaning to most fans, but they identify key positive things these guys do on the court. Well, sometimes these terms can get rather silly, such as saying a guy has T-Rex arms when he has a wingspan shorter than his height like Kelly Olynyk. There is no better example of this scouting silliness, though, than Mike Smiths of Draft Express using the namesake of this podcast to describe Semi Ojale of the Boston Celtics' muscular build prior to the 2017 draft. Now, it was a good descriptor, don't get me wrong. Ojale is certainly thick, he's certainly jacked, and certainly uses that to his advantage on the court. Since then, it's become a term that we've used to be a celebration of strength and power in the league today. That also happens to be a core tenant of my draft scouting process. You'll hear me talk a lot about the mental aspects of the game with regards to prospects. Things like technical skills, reads that they can make, decision making, all these things are massively important in today's league. But in the end, physical tools do win out among similar prospects. A beefy jacked 6'4 wing without many go-to skills, he's going to have a better time lasting in the league than a thin guy with one to two technical skills. We see that with the Cavs this year. David Nwaba still in, or has stuck in the league for multiple years despite not having a ton of great technical skills. Whereas a guy like Jalen Jones, who was a good three-point shooter but was pretty thin at 6'7", he is, wasn't able to. So always remember that. It pays to have a good frame, particularly one that is thick and or jacked, preferably both. With that said, let's get started with the big news of the week, that being that the Cavs did some trades at the trade deadline. 
thanks to publicly broadcasting for basically the entire year that Alec Burks and Rodney Hood were on the table. They somehow actually were able to trade both players and were able to get a nice set of picks and young guys back. Most importantly, in the Burks trade, they will now have two first-rounders in 2019, barring a wild collapse from the Houston Rockets, who sent them the pick. If they, or if they somehow fall out of the playoffs, that lottery protection will kick in. But as of right now, they're scheduled to have the 21st pick in the 2019 draft in addition to their own pick. So that's pretty good news, especially in this class, it's, which has proven to be a difficult one to evaluate. We generally have a good idea of who the top two or three picks are going to be in June at this point. It's probably going to be some combination of Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Jarrett Culver, and John Morant. But later on, it's kind of a complete crapshoot in terms of projections. That should mean that the Cavs have a shot to find some really good potential fits for the rebuild and at their second pick. Getting those rotation helpers on cost-controlled deals is very important in addition to landing that potential future star and core piece. And the odds that one of the better role player options is going to be available there are pretty high. That definitely makes the deal worth it to me, even though the team now also employs Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris as a result of the deal. Both those guys are probably on the short list of guys I have enjoyed least watching throughout the past couple of years, especially Chris, who who did not deserve being a top 10 pick in a weak draft and has done nothing to prove otherwise so far. They're, but they're both the cost of getting another pick and being a terrible team trying to gather assets. You're going to take on long-term must money, and you're going to take on reclamation prospects. I wouldn't expect either to be around long, but that's just me. The pick is the most important part here. Most Cavs fans have at least a passing knowledge of the top guys in the draft, so this week's prospect highlight is going to focus on the potential option that could be available to the Cavs at 21. In fact, if you went on Tankathon right after the trade happened on Wednesday. He was the player that the Cavs were taking in their mock draft. He's also a player who I have as a potential lottery value in the class, but he isn't really in the mainstream consciousness as being on that level. So we're going to briefly discuss Brandon Clark of Gonzaga. Clark is a 6-foot, 8-inch, 210-pound junior power forward for the Bulldogs from Phoenix, Arizona. He played his first two college seasons at San Jose State before transferring and sitting out last year. So he's one of the older prospects in the draft at 22, and he's going to be 23 at the beginning of the 2019-2020 season. Currently, he's averaging 16.4 points, 7.8 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 1.3 steals, and 3 blocks per game. I currently have him 16th on my big board, but he's one of those guys that's all over the place. The Stepien has him as a potential lottery value. Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report also has him at 16th. And you look at a major outlet like Sports Illustrated, and he's not even in their first round. So let's unpack his game a little bit, because he's not a guy who's going to be getting a lot of buzz right now, thanks to Gonzaga's status as a mid-major playing games against lower competition. First, physical tools. Clark has a solid frame at 6'8", but he's thin, pretty thin, which is rather worrying given his age means that he probably has less opportunity to add strength than some of the 19-year-olds in this class. What he does have, though, is good coordination and quickness, and the length to still matter as a shot blocker and finisher inside. He doesn't have an official wingspan measurement, but it's been estimated at around 7 feet, and that checks out when you watch him in comparison to other players of similar stature on the floor. 
He's a great leaper with good quick twitch athleticism when he jumps and the lateral quickness to slide himself into position quickly on defense. He probably doesn't have the strength to play as a small ball five full-time, but his tools should still allow him to have some success as a defensive five and key his offensive potential at the four. It's important for framing the rest of our talk that despite him being about the same size as Cam Reddish, I see Clark as a near full-time four that's going to be able to play a little bit of five, mostly thanks to the skill set that his physical tools and decision-making allow for. Offensively, I think Clark is going to be best served as a face-up big that attacks mismatches, serves as a cutter, and finishes off ball. He has crazy touch around the rim with both hands, and more importantly, does a good job finishing shots that we would call garbage shots. Little floaters, scoop shots, and offhand finishes against contact away from the basket that are just as important as being able to get to the rim and finish right at that spot. The Sepian's shot chart data has him at 64 of 84 from the rim this year, which is 76% shooting. That's pretty good for a big. Most bigs we would like to see be over 65%. 70% is pretty good. And then over 75% is when you're getting into truly elite projectable uh, finishing. Zion is about 78% shoot, shooter at the rim for comparison. That's crazy good, especially if you aren't a Zion type that can just bully your way to the rim. He's not a super strong dribbler, but I do like him as a handler in close quarters because he's so fluid and coordinated, and that gets him good shots off balance in these situations, and he's able to get himself into a situation where he's able to get a quality shot even if he's covered. I think with better decision-making as he gets more comfortable, he can be a very effective secondary scorer on face-ups and spot-up isolations. The biggest weakness for him now is obviously the shooting. When he was at San Diego State, he might have been one of the worst jump shooters I've ever seen. I mean, the only thing consistent with his mechanics were that the ball went up above his shoulders and he eventually let it go in the general direction of the hoop. Two years later, he's much better now, but it's still not great because he doesn't have consistent upper body mechanics, particularly with where his elbow goes on his release. However, I think that can still be ironed out as he gets into the league because he's found much more of a mid-range game this year, and with his touch as a foundation, there's hope. And the thing is, he just needs to be able to find some positive way to contribute on offense because the defense is the main selling point. When I read off his stats earlier, the blocks per game probably was what jumped out at you. 3.0 blocks per game for a 6'8 guy is pretty solid. And they should be because he's one of the more technically sound rim protectors in this draft class, despite his frame. He has an 11.3% block rate currently, which is phenomenal. And he's really good at using verticality principles to contest shots at the rim. Pretty much all of the technique stuff you could want is there because he explodes quickly and gets into a second jump well to go after rebounds, can wall off the paint using his footwork and length, and he also contests shots on the perimeter. His reaction time in particular is impressive, and he bails out his teammates from the weak side a lot, particularly Rui Hachimura, who's one of the worst interior defenders among all the bigs in this draft class on ball he's quick enough to guard down to the two on switches and he has a technically sound pick and roll defender particularly on plays where he has to hedge out and recover i really like his versatility on defense overall i think he'll always have issues with the most brutish big men and strong wings taking him off the dribble but he's already a pretty special team defender at the college level and I think with his rim protection traits and the speed with which he picked up Gonzaga's scheme, he's one of the few guys that I would actually bet on to provide solid value in his rookie year on the defensive end. So in terms of overall projection, I'm pretty high on Clark transitioning into the league. I think that 
he has a great length quickness and awareness combination and those things all go together to be pretty projectable there's also the stats which love him he's third on the all-time box plus minus list which goes back to 2010 2011 for college players behind zion williamson and anthony davis and just ahead of carl anthony towns and that's insane but it speaks to the reliability of his combination of tools and his production guys with his combination of tools coordination decision-making, statistical production, and efficiency, they typically hit at the NBA level. I think in terms of the range of outcomes, on the low end would be a sort of like a Marquis Chris with a brain type player, where he doesn't have the strength to let his touch or rim protection translate and is a net negative offensively, but he provides baseline defensive value, doesn't foul like Chris does, and is a generally smart team defender that's going to be able to be maybe a plus one defender in the NBA. Given that the Cavs now have Marquise Chris, that doesn't seem very appealing, but I think the higher end outcomes are what make him much more appetizing to me. The most likely outcome I see for Clark is something in the Aaron Gordon mold, where he's a guy that's going to switch across the three, four, and five spots on defense, is an elite cutter and face-up big, and can be a solid solid defender even if the shooting never materializes. Obviously, he isn't the top 5% athlete Gordon is, but he's good enough that he could become something like early Gordon in terms of production value. As a ceiling, I have to look and kind of copy off of Ben Rubin of the Stepien, who is a must-read draft scout or draft writer who provides a lot of the foundation for how I look at guys like Clark. And his comparison was Paul Millsap. And I think that that's where his upper end of outcomes is going to end up coming. Because if Clark is able to shoot, if he's able to become a 36, 37 point percent three point shooter in the latter stages of his career, then he has all of the tools to be kind of that versatile two way four that Millsap has been with Atlanta, Denver, and Utah. I think that he already has the space defense, he already has the touch, and he already has the weak side rim protection in his toolbox to eventually get to that Millsap spot. He just needs to be able to become a pretty solid shooter. And if you look at Millsap and Clark as college prospects, they're very similar statistically and in terms of their on-court production. Both had insane touch, both really didn't shoot, but were able to create a little bit out of the mid-range, and both were their team's primary rim protector despite playing next to a traditional college center. So I think that there's a very good chance that Clark is able to have kind of that same end stage development and could unlock potentially fringe all-star potential if he's in the right development situation. And if you're picking from the 20 to 25 range and you can get a guy who's pretty sure to help right away and has those tail end upside outcomes, I think you take it. Even if the fit is a little bit clunky with whatever combination of the Cavs current bigs is there in 1920. He has enough wing skills that I think you can potentially use him as a three. And none of the Cavs' bigs outside maybe Nance as a long-term prospect. I think you're getting legit all-defensive team upside from Clark. And this core needs that regardless of who else is in it. And I think that's why he's one of my favorite guys that the Cavs could take with that initial pick. It's just going to be a matter of if he's there or not. So now let's kind of transition and we'll get into our games of the week. I've got three games for you to watch that are going to highlight some pretty big matchups between 
potential draft prospects this week. Um, they're all early in the week. So the first one is tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. It's Virginia at North Carolina. Good ACC showdown here between top 10 teams. The obvious matchup that we're going to be keying in on here is DeAndre Hunter for Virginia and Nasir Little for UNC. Those are the guys who are number 11 and number 12 on my big board right now. So obviously very important matchup for looking at the top of the draft. I think in particular, we're going to want to watch this game more for Hunter than for Little. I think Little is going to kind of provide some of the similar things that he has throughout this season. I don't think that he's going to ha find, be somebody who's going to be finding more success against the Virginia defense because there's very few guys in all of college basketball who can do that. So I think that if you go or if you pay attention more towards Hunter, he's going to have a much more interesting matchup. He's going to be matched up against Little primarily and also Cam Johnson, who is uh, 6'8", 4", who is a little slow, but is one of the more technically sound defenders in college basketball. So I think that we're going to get a good chance to see what he can do one-on-one -on -one against both of those guys. I think that seeing him contend with guys of similar stature who have similar length and are going to be quick enough to be able to cut off the rim from him is going to be really important for seeing what he's going to be able to do against pretty much every guy who's going to be like that in the NBA. So I'm going to be focused more or focused on this game because it's going to be a good chance to see Hunter in the setting of playing against an NBA defender at his position. Also in this game, you're going to get to see Kobe White, who I have as a top or as a top six player in the in this class. Ty Jerome is going to be who he's going up against, who's Virginia's point guard. I think that's going to be a really good matchup. Also a good chance to get to see some of the fringe guys that are on both teams. Um, looking at Cam Johnson for UNC, looking uh, particularly at like Kyle Guy and uh, Diakite for Virginia. Second game I have for you is on Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Most people are going to be focused on the Tennessee-Kentucky matchup, which is going to be taking place on Saturday. But there's a different Kentucky game that I want to point you to, and that's going to be this one where they take on LSU on Tuesday night. In particular, we got two power forwards here as well that I'm going to be focusing on, and that's going to be Nas Reed, who I have 20th, and P.J. Washington, who I have 26th. Both these guys are very similar to me in that they aren't elite athletes, but they're, they show the flashes of very good skill on the offensive end, particularly as ball handlers and finishers who potentially could become solid pick-and-pop three-point shooters at the NBA level as well. Reed's a little bit slow. Washington's not as strong as you'd like to see him, so they both have weaknesses. But I think this is going to be a good matchup. Reed has the length to be able to contest Washington in the post and on face-ups, and he really hasn't had to deal with that a ton in, this year, and when he does, he typically struggles. Whereas the Washington matchup for Reed is going to be interesting because Washington is quicker than him. And I think that this is going to be a chance for seeing both of, both of these guys try to create on both of these offenses against a guy who's very similar to them. So 
I'm really interested in that matchup. Both guys that I wouldn't personally draft if I was the Cavs, but are going to be in that same range, are going to be in the conversation for them. We're also going to get to see some second-round quality guys, um, Ashton Hagens and Tremont Waters. Waters plays, plays for LSU. He's kind of a 5'9", jitterbug scoring point guard, kind of in the K Felder mold, whereas Hagens is kind of this disappointing 6'5 guy who doesn't have a ton of technical skills but has the length and has the quickness to be a pretty good defensive point guard. So it'll be interesting to see how Waters scores against him and Emmanuel quickly for Kentucky. And then the third game is going to be Wednesday night. I've got a homework assignment for you to stay up late for. 11 o'clock Eastern on ESPNU. That's going to be USC against Stanford. And this is going to be a matchup of two wings that are going to be in range for where the Cavs are going to have that second pick. Kevin Porter Jr. and KZ Akpala for Stanford. Akpala is probably the guy that you know a little bit less about. He is rising up draft boards right now. Because of his scoring potential, he is probably a full-time four at the NBA level, um, six eight with a really good frame, really strong, good at getting to the rim, but a little bit slow and doesn't have a lot of the finer playmaking skills that are going to make, make playing at the three possible for him. Whereas Porter is kind of the opposite. He's more of that six four, six five. Uh, two-way wing who has a lot of creation upside um, is a pretty good spot-up shooter but doesn't really have a ton of um, doesn't really have a lot of technical skill on the on the offensive end yet and really hasn't shown much on defense I think that, that we're probably going to see a few matchups between these two guys as as we had or as we head into this game, and that's going to be nice for both of them because it's going to be a nice contrast to Scott Styles. Can Akpala defend a quick, versatile scoring type like Kevin Porter, who's going to be a scorer at the NBA level, and can Porter match up against a guy who's going to be much stronger than him? And is he going to be able to cut off drives from the rim and be able to hold up against Akpala? So I think this will be a really nice matchup for both of those guys. I've got Porter 17th right now. I've got Akpala in the 40s, but I've seen him as high as the 20s. in this draft class. So should be a good matchup there. So three games, UNC and UVA on Monday, LSU, Kentucky on Tuesday, USC and Stanford on Wednesday should give you a good look at some of the guys who are going to be in range for the Cavs at that second pick, wherever the Rockets end up and they end up picking in this class. So that's all we have for today. Hopefully you got a little bit more jazzed up about that Rockets pick and the 2019 draft in general. If so, please be sure to tune in next week. Plan right now is for new episodes of Thick Jack Frames to drop on Mondays. So we'll be back next Monday with another draft prospect to dive in on and more games to preview. You can follow me at Illegal Screens on Twitter, the podcast at Fear the Sword. And as always, make sure you tune into our other shows. We have Chris Manning's Locked on Cavs and more new stuff coming down the pipe. Thanks for joining me, and we will see you next time. Stay thick and stay jacked.